case nobody told you how good you look, let me tell you right now, you look good today. I can't see you all that well, which may have something to do with it, but uh, you look good today. You, I tell you, even if you don't look good, you sound fantastic today. Come on, you sound good. Just loved just being able to stand back for a moment and just look over the, look over the ones who are here and, and just, I know it's, I don't mean it in an awkward way, but just to listen to you worship just inspires my heart to worship all the more. And that's what, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about worship is that it's not just about me. It's not even just about me and Jesus. Worship and a spirit of worship and a heart of worship are contagious. They, they rub off on one another. They inspire, they encourage, they challenge. And so when you show up um, and, and you have made your mind up that before you even walk through these doors, before you even step foot on this property, that today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. When you show up with that in your heart, listen, I tell you what, you make my job easier because what is living in you begins to rub off on everybody else. And it just makes it a joy to preach. It just makes it a joy to be here. Come on, listen, I think we've all been to church services before. Dare I say, even at Lifehouse, when, man, the air was just stale and stagnant, right? Come on, we've been to those, we've been in those services where, you know, it just feels like, it feels like life has left the building, right? I don't want, I don't want to do that anymore. Though. I want to show up and I want to be part of a, a body of Christ that is ready and willing to give God our very best. And Lifehouse, I believe that is you. Come on, give yourselves a hand this morning. Before I jump into the text, I'll tell you where to go. Go ahead and go to James 4. Before I get there, uh, just a few things I want to mention. First of all, uh, I know Kristen's already said this, but I, I just want to say it myself. Thank you so much for all of you who showed up yesterday and participated in our Thanksgiving basket giveaway. Thank you so much for those of you who gave financially. Uh, thank you for those of you, and hopefully it's all of you, who give consistently every week, every month in your tithes and offerings. Uh, I know it's not a popular subject. I know it's not a popular topic, and, and rightfully so. In some cases, it has been abused, and it's been used to manipulate and use for personal gain. I want to tell you, though, that's not the story here at LifeHouse, but it takes money to do ministry. Uh, I've heard it said, I never researched it for myself, but I've heard it said that Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven. Because ministry takes money and it takes, it takes people who serve. And, and I just want to thank you for being a church who is generous with your, with your time, talent, and treasure. That's the three areas that we can give. And so I just want to tell you, and this, I say this from a place of love, because listen, we're doing great as a church. Uh, I can go ahead and tell you right now that we have surpassed our hope in we have surpassed our in faith and what I mean is that we 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 agreed on a budget for the year of 2022 and even then as we agreed on the budget we looked at it and thought this is this going to take the Lord uh, can I tell you we've already surpassed that and we still have a month and a half left so. So I don't say this from a place of, man, we really need you to give. I say this from a place of thanking you so much that you do give. But I want to say this. Um, if you do not tithe, can I tell you the only person you are cheating is yourself? If you don't tithe, and you might say, Pastor, I want to tithe, but we just don't have the money to tithe. And I have been a Christian since I've been 15, I, and I started tithing immediately. Um, I'm 37 now, so you do the math. I think that's 22 years, maybe, give or take, a few months. I've never not tithed. And I've never gone above and beyond. I've never not gone above and beyond my tithe. I've always given and above and beyond the missions and the different offerings and different projects. Um, I tithe, and sometimes I'll be honest with you, I tithe in faith sometimes. Saying, <laughs> Lord, uh, this isn't a tithe. This is a whatever 20% is. Uh, but God, I'm believing for increase in my life. And, and I know that I can never outgive you. And I can s 
stand up here as a testament to the word of the Lord that I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. The Lord's always met every need I've had. And honestly, he's met most of the wants I've had. And I believe a large part of that, number one, it's just because God is good. Even when I'm not, even when I don't deserve it. You can't get away from the goodness of God. But I believe also that number two is because I've been obedient to the scriptures. My wife and I, we just made up our mind that when we calculate a budget, when we buy a home or when we buy a car, that that's high, that, that money that belongs to the Lord, I'm not going to steal it from him. And the Lord has been faithful. So if you don't tithe, I just want to encourage you, not from a place of, oh, we, you know, the, the church needs it. No, we don't. We're good. We, I mean, like, really. Uh, but maybe, you know, maybe we could do more. You know, maybe next year, instead of 100 baskets, we do 200. You know, we do have a Christmas toy giveaway coming up. We want to give a toy to every child that shows up on the property. And to be real with you, I'm feeling like a big kid this year. So uh, I'm going to see what happens. But, uh, you know, and that, that takes money as well. It's already paid for. You've already, the church, we're, we're, our budget's met for this year. Everything that comes in from now on is gravy. But I want to encourage you to start giving if you're not giving. And if you are giving, you know, you might say, I haven't been able to tithe, but I've been giving something. Hey, there are tippers and there are tithers. And, 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 and then there's just takers. I want, I want to be obedient to the Lord, not to a preacher, not to a person, but to the word of the Lord. Um, so thank you for giving. I, Kristen said earlier, uh, Bobby and Sherry won our chili cook-off yesterday. And I believe she said they are professional food people. I, I, I don't make food for a living, but I feel like I'm a professional food person as well. I'm a professional eater. Um, I, I like to eat and I don't like to sweat. And so those things work against me. But here we are. Uh, so congratulations to you guys. I am, I, I wish I had tried it, but I didn't try any because I didn't feel good yesterday. <laughs> uh, maybe you can make me some for later. Like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe in the goodness of your heart. Next Sunday uh, is November 27th. And we decided a few months ago that we would, or a few weeks ago, that we would just have one service that day. We know several will be out of town. But I also have an ulterior motive as to why I only want to do one service that day. I just want to see everybody at once. I just want to see everybody at once. So hope you can be here. We're going to pack the house that day. And then I, I did a little figuring, and my number may be off a little bit because math isn't my strong subject, but I, I figured out there are 41 days as of today left in 2022. 41 days. Isn't that crazy? It's, you know, come on, if your tree ain't up yet, you're, you're behind, right? Um, but 41 days. I just want to encourage you to just make the rest of the year the best possible. Uh, continue to, to be generous with your giving. Continue to encourage your brother or sister. Continue to serve. Continue to love. And just as a word of, of encouragement to you, um, politicians, news companies, uh, even social media, Man, they make their living off making us afraid of what might be or what could be. Uh, but I have some good news for you today. And it didn't come from somebody who wants to make a buck off you. It came from somebody who gave his one and only begotten son so that through him that you could have life eternal. And the good news of the Lord is even when, even when hell may be going all on all around me, there is the kingdom of heaven living inside of me. So I'm not going to buy into the doom and gloom. There may or may not be a recession, but hey, I, I serve the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hill. And I'm not, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in worry. I'm, I'm going to be obedient to his word, and I'm going to trust God to do the, to do, to do the impossible. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's just believe the Lord that the best is yet to come, even in the end of this year. And I'm believing for 2023 that for Lifehouse and for each and every single one of you, that it will be the best year yet. Amen. Amen. One last housekeeping item. Uh, our students are going to youth convention this week. They're leaving, I want to say Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Somebody should look at the calendar. They're leaving Tuesday and they'll be coming back. I'm looking at my wife, Thur 
they're coming back Wednesday. Hey, I, I turned your mic on for you, okay? Um, you didn't know how to hit a button, so I didn't look out. I'm going to pay for that later. I want to encourage you to be praying for them, be praying for our leaders as they travel to Nashville to the Opryland Hotel uh, for our Tennessee Youth Convention. Also be praying for our uh, Assemblies of God Tennessee Network Council as they will be announcing a new district youth director. Many of you know Jeremy Allsteel, who's served in the capacity of DYD, district youth director, for the last 10 years. He's preached at this church as recently as just September, and he is now pastoring in Nashville. And, and so it's a time of transition for our network and for our leadership. So let's be praying for them as well and pray for the, the new man or woman of God that will be stepping into that position as well. All right, you guys ready to get into the Word? I got 35 minutes left. Let's go. James chapter 4, starting with verse number 1. James says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? So here's you a mini sermon that's not today's sermon, but James makes a very fair point that we often don't want to hear. He says, what's causing the arguments and the conflict between you? And if you're in the middle of a conflict and somebody says, hey man, what's going on with you and so-and-so? Nine times out of 10, our response will be, well, they said, or they did, or they didn't do, or they didn't say, right? James is saying, no, nah, that's not really what the problem is. The problem is what's inside of you. The problem is you. He says, don't they come from evil desires at war within you? He says in verse 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. And some of you might say, hey, I'm off the hook. I ain't never killed nobody. Don't plan to anytime soon. Right? But remember the words of Jesus, the older brother of James, who said, if you hate somebody, that that is essentially in your heart you were committing murder against them. He says you're jealous of what other, others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. I mean, come on, James, seriously? You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? He says, I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say God is passionate that the spirit, they say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. That's a great promise right there. If you write in your Bible, you should underline that one right there. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. James is quoting Psalm 24. Wash your hands, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy, and humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Father, we just are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the opportunity, God, to glean from the words of James today. And Father, while this was written by a human being 2,000 years ago, it is from your heart and it was inspired by you. And so God, as we extrapolate just a nugget of truth from what James has to say to us, God, I pray that it will work transformation in us. And that as we prayed earlier, that we will leave this place looking a little more like Jesus and a little less like ourselves. 
And it's in his name that we pray. Lifehouse said amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Can we get the Lord praise in the house? We all have pet peeves, right? Uh, some of us have more than others. You know, the, the word that gets used a lot today is triggered, and that's dumb. I don't like that. But, uh, but we all have pet peeves, right? Uh, probably one of my greatest pet peeves is if you are in the left lane going down the road, you, the speed limit is too slow. <laughs> Listen, if you're not at least going five miles per hour over the speed limit in the left lane, you should have your driver's license revoked. You, you, you just need to go sell your car and give the money to the poor and just get a horse. I don't know. Um, I, I, just, I just can't stand it. It gets on my nerves, and I turn into not a Christian in those moments. And my wife, the whole time, looks at me and says, your children are in the car. Be quiet. And so if, you're t if your pet peeve is when somebody tailgates you, I apologize in advance because I will be up your bumper uh, if you're in that left lane going the speed limit or below the speed limit. So uh, if you brake check me, we just want to know each other a lot better. Uh, <laughs> listen, I ain't perfect. I never claim to be, so don't look at me like that. I asked Chris and I said, what's a pet peeve that you have? And she gave me about 10 things. And I said, what's a pet peeve that you have that doesn't involve me? <laughs> And she said, when people don't return their shopping cart when they're at the store. Man, if you want to know if somebody is, is going to make a difference in this world, just see if they return their shopping cart or not. Because there ain't nobody on planet Earth that's ever left a shopping cart in the middle of a parking lot that's done a thing in this world worth doing. And if you're offended, then I'm talking to you. Uh, looked them up, you know, a few different ones. Chewing with your mouth open, that's some... That's people's pet peeve. And not turning your lights, lights off when you leave a room. All the dads said amen. Amen. Uh, every, every day I go home uh, and just turn lights off that had been left on by some people that live in my home. <laughs> James also had some pet peeves. He... Um, if, if you've read this letter, you, you are aware James is, is extraordinarily direct. I mean, almost to the point where you're like, bro, are you okay? <laughs> like, he's sitting there talking about how our prayers aren't answers. And then he calls everybody adulterers. And, and, then, and then he says, you've been laughing. You need to start crying. You've been joyful. You need to start weeping. And it's like, James, are you, you okay, man? You know, he's, he, it's as if, you know, if, his, if he was driving down the road, his wife would say, remember, there are children listening. <laughs> Calm down, James. But James's pet peeve, at least one of them, it comes across a lot in this letter that he writes, is when people use people or manipulate people or manipulate situations for personal gain. That is something that is very obvious to James. We, in a, few, a few weeks ago, we were in James chapter 2, where he talks about when we favor others over somebody else. And, and the, the essential reason as to why that occurs, at least to the people James is writing to, is because the people that were being favored either had wealth or status, and they wanted to build those relationships because they wanted a piece of what they had. And James obviously has a lot of strong words for that situation. And here in James 4, he says, you don't have what you want, so you scheme and you kill to get it. And you're jealous of what others have, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. And I, I was thinking about this. Why does James make such a big deal about when people manipulate a situation or, or do something shady or underhanded to get something that they want or to get wealth or to get status or to get influence? And I actually thought, I said, it's got to be because James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, doesn't use that status to his advantage at all. As he introduces himself in this letter, he writes to us and he says, I, James, a servant or a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
When he had every right to say, I, James, the brother of Jesus, listen to me. You know, but he didn't do that. He did not use his status to his advantage. In fact, he modeled what Jesus himself did. And Paul talks about it in Philippians 2. Jesus, being the son of God, did not think of himself as equal with God. In other words, he, he t- intentionally took on the form of humanity, became a man, became become a lowly servant even, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And James is living in that light. And he's essentially saying, when you uh, manipulate, when you do uh, uh, do dirty things, when you do shady things, when you, when you undermine others to get things that you want, you are in essence making yourself a friend of the world. And if you are a friend of the world, you are not a friend of God. So today, and this is, may feel like a little bit of a jump, but hopefully it'll make sense. Today, I want to talk a few minutes about prayer. I want to talk about real prayer. And I want to talk practically about prayer. Because I think a lot of times we hear sermons, sermons that I've preached, sermons that other people preach, and they they are encouraging, they are inspiring, and and they are challenging, but there's no handles to hold on to when we leave the service to go put it into work in our lives. And so today, my hope is that not only will you be encouraged, but that you will have something to hold on to that tomorrow morning and Thursday afternoon will actually make a legitimate difference, not just in how you feel, but in what you do. James is essentially telling us that we need to stop depending on this world to fulfill us and to provide for us. James is, I'm going to say it again, James is essentially telling us that we need to stop depending on this world to fulfill us and to provide for us. I talked about, you know, inflation, recession. Listen, my, my provision does not come from a paycheck. My provision comes from my father. And yours does too. Nobody in this room is a self-made man or a self-made woman. No, you are a product, even if you don't know it, of the goodness and generosity of your heavenly father. And so James likewise is saying, stop looking to people. Stop looking to organizations. Stop looking to politicians, to the government, to to even, even just good people. Stop looking to those things. Stop manipulating situations. Stop manipulating people. Stop doing shady things to save a buck or to, to, to see some personal gain. He says, when you do that, you're becoming friends with the world, or rather, you're becoming friends with the ways of the world, and you are in direct conflict with the ways that your father works. See, he, he is the father who works in the light. He, he, he's an open book, in other words. And if there are things that you were doing, if it got published, if it became public knowledge that would make you ashamed or would embarrass you, James is saying, hey, maybe it's time to rethink those strategies. Maybe it's time to rethink how you're, how you're operating here. Stop depending on the word to fulfill you, to provide for you. That's God's job. It's not the world's job. It's not your spouse's job. It's not your boss's job. It's not your employer's job. Hey, parents, it's not your kids' jobs to give your life purpose. Come on, that's a weight they can't bear. When we, when we as parents put so much weight and so much pressure on our kids to, to, for us to, to feel a sense of fulfillment in them and through them, we are essentially putting a weight on them that only God himself can sustain. Come on, that's not fair to our children. It's not fair to your spouse either. James is saying when we look to the world or when we, when we look to a person or to people or to an organization to give us what only God can truly give us, it is like a man or a woman satisfying their sexual desires with somebody other than their husband or wife. I mean, he is not pulling punches here. He is being very direct, almost a little awkward, right? But that's what James is saying. He says, hey, listen, you're, you're, you're cheating on God. 
If you're looking to the world, if you're looking to people, if you're looking to man-made institutions to give you what only God can truly give you. So instead of looking around for fulfillment, James is saying, look up for for fulfillment. And so today, I just want to ask you, how is your prayer life? How is it? Most of us, if we were to to have people come up on the stage and to hold a mic in front of their face and say, hey, how's your prayer life doing? First of all, uh, I think you would all feel very uncomfortable about that and probably not want to do that. But the truth is, most of us, and I would throw myself in this as well, when asked how is our prayer life, most of us would respond, and I bet you if we, if we polled everyone privately, I, would, I, I just bet that at least 90% of the room would say, oh, it could be better. That's what we would say. We wouldn't say it's, it's bad or non-existent. We would probably just say it could be better because in our minds, it could always be better, right? I mean, today in this room, if your prayer life is vibrant and your prayer life is healthy, if you're being honest, even you would say, it could be better. And, and I think that's, that's an okay place to be, but, but maybe it's not an okay place to stay. It could be better. And if I'm being honest, even in my own life, my, my prayer life has ebbs and flows, right? There are seasons of life where it is, it is vibrant, it is fulfilling, and there are seasons in life where I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall. Come on, listen, you gonna make me do this by myself today? So let me just say this. If in this moment, just from that question alone, there's a tinge of guilt that is creeping its way into your mind just go ahead and say, no, nah, I ain't got time for that today because guilt is not God because guilt comes and goes and guilt doesn't lead to lasting change. The kindness of the Lord, Paul tells us, is what draws us to repentance, not the guilt or condemnation of the enemy, right? So don't, 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 don't fester on it. Don't, don't focus on what you haven't done. Focus on where you are so that you can get where you want to be, where God wants you to be. And so, so just a few, just a few, I told you I want to be real practical today, just a few thoughts about prayer. First of all, uh, real prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Real prayer is not a one-way conversation, but it is a two-way conversation. It's a conversation with God. And so a lot of us, we struggle in our prayer life because we spend all the time talking and none of the time listening. Allow God to speak to you. And here's the deal. God is always talking. But are you listening? He's, all, he's never silent. But sometimes our ear just isn't tuned in to hear his voice. He speaks to us through his spirit. He speaks to us through his, his word. Listen, don't tell me you, you, the Lord's not talking to you if you're not reading your Bible. And he speaks to us through people. He does. Maybe even in this instant. But it doesn't have to be a sermon. Sometimes it can be a conversation. And sometimes the Lord will speak to you through another person. And they didn't even know. They were just there. They were just being an instrument of the Holy Spirit and didn't even realize it in that moment. So, so. So prayer is not just a monologue. It is a dialogue. It is a conversation. And listen, how many of you, by a show of hands, I think we can do this, have ever tried to pray, wanted to pray, and just honestly just did not have the words to pray? Raise your hand. Anybody? All of them. Okay, me too. Me too. I'm all, I'm all in that, right? And so in those moments, first of all, sometimes just your presence and your silence is all God is looking for from you. Because the, the Bible tells us in Romans that the Holy Spirit, when we don't know how to pray, and I believe this can be manifested in many different ways, will pray through us with groanings that, that, that cannot be uttered, that are not understandable. And sometimes just a 
or or the sound of crying, or even just just saying, God, I don't know, but you do. Uh, that's, That's all God needs to hear, and the Lord is doing a work in you and through you in that situation and in that moment. But listen, if you are not in the Word, uh, you are doing yourself and your prayer life a great disservice because one of the most powerful things that we can do when we don't know what to do is pray the Word of God over ourselves and for us. And if you just go to the book of Psalms and just start reading that stuff out loud and just allowing that to become a prayer to the Lord. Let me just give you a few examples. You guys okay? Everybody good? So, so one of my favorites, one, one of the ones that I've been praying every day this month is Psalm 139. 23 through 24, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, and point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the paths of everlasting life. We quoted another one uh, from last week, Psalm 19, 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hey, one of my favorites comes from Psalm 3. It says, Dear Lord, slap all my enemies in the face. (laughs) It's in there. Go read it. (laughs) Crush the teeth of the wicked. So, you do me wrong, your teeth are going to fall out. (laughs) Pastor Drew, are we supposed to pray that way? I don't know. David did. So, I mean, (laughs) he was a man after God's own heart. So, let's, let's just see what happens. So, so, number one, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Number two, real prayer is a first response, not a last resort. Real prayer is a first response, not a last resort. Uh, we've, we've heard this said. We may have even said it ourselves. Uh, you know, we've done all we can do. All we can do now is pray. We've, we've tried everything. Or, you know, it's out of my hands. We, all we can do now is pray. And I believe the Lord is good enough and gracious enough that he hears those prayers and quite often will respond to those prayers. But I would just encourage you to not leave your most valuable option on the table to the very end. Start with prayer and then saturate every step along the way with prayer. If prayer, let me say it like this, if prayer is the only option you've got, you've still got the most powerful option available to you. Uh, my pastor used to say, I guess he still does. I just hadn't heard in a while. He said, he said, pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. I feel like that's a good way to approach a lot of things in life. Pray like if God don't do it, it ain't going to happen. That's bad grammar, but it's good preaching, right? Pray if God don't do it, it ain't going to happen. But then get out there and work like it all depends on you. And, and, and so, we, but then we throw around scriptures because we love to cherry pick Bible scriptures to justify bad theology, right? And we say like, oh, well, I'm just going to be still and know that he is Lord, right? Uh, no, you're just lazy, You just want God to do for you what God's given you strength, energy, and wisdom to do for yourself. Now listen, if the voice of the Lord through the Holy Spirit speaks to you and he just says, hey, be still, then be still. But in hell, he tells you to stop, keep moving forward, right? (laughs) Come on, y'all. Help me out a little bit today. So first of all, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Number two, real prayer is a first response, not a last resort. And then number, number three, real prayer is powerful. But I want to say this, the power of prayer is not found in the prayer. The power of prayer is not found in the person praying. The power of prayer is found in the one to whom we pray. And so, so let me just say, this should give you a great sense of comfort because you, you might say, oh, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know how to pray eloquently. Hey, guess what? That's irrelevant, right? Listen, when, when my three-year-old daughter comes to me expressing something that she wants, she doesn't do it eloquently, right? She, she doesn't always use great grammar, and she certainly doesn't speak in King James English, Right? You ever been around somebody and they start praying, they start praying in King James, but then they talk in like, you know, ghetto English, and you're like, what? How'd that happen, right? But anyway, that's, that's another sermon that I'll never preach. Um, 
But when my three-year-old comes to me and she, she says, hey, daddy, I want whatever, and she's very, she's very free with her request. But can I tell you, because I love her and because I cherish her, more times than not, she gets what she wants when she asks daddy, right? More times than not, she gets what she wants when she comes to me. Listen, I, had her, uh, I was alone with her for a, a few hours the other day, and three different times she walked up to me out of the blue and just said, Daddy, I love you so much. Listen, she could have asked me for my bank account. Girl would have had it. Whatever you want, baby, it is yours, right? And, and, and so... Listen, your father is a good father, and he is not looking for you to be perfect. He is not looking for you to be eloquent. He is just looking for you. You are what he wants, right? So real prayer is powerful, not because we know how to pray so eloquently and so boldly, and we speak in this certain octave or timbre of voice. No, no, that's just, that's fine. If that's how you want to do it, but that's personality. That's not prayer. And that's okay. That's fine. That's wonderful. But that's still not where the power of prayer is found. And the power of prayer is not found in your good life or your good works. Because according to Isaiah, our best works are still like filthy rags compared to the righteousness of God. The real power of prayer is not found in how I pray or in my ability to pray. The real power of prayer is found in the one to whom I'm praying. Real prayer is powerful. Next. Real prayer doesn't always change the situation, but it always changes me. I'm just going to let that soak in for a moment. Real prayer doesn't always change the situation, but it does always change me. Listen, I love answered prayer, but God doesn't always answer every prayer, at least not the way I want him to, right? Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says, not yet. Can I just encourage you this morning to pray anyway? To be persistent in prayer. The real goal of prayer is, is not to get God to fulfill my desires. The real goal of prayer is that his desires would become my desires. The, the, the goal of prayer is not to get God on my side. The goal of prayer is for me to get on his side. On his side. And so this is why James says you, you don't have what you want because you, you don't ask God for it. So, so right then and there, he's essentially saying that, that you are, are, are trying to do it all on yourself. You've got the work like it all depends on you down, but you don't have the pray like it all depends on God down, right? He says you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And, and he said earlier, because you're manipulating, you're scheming, you're, you're using anger, anger, you're being hateful, you're doing things underhanded, and, and, and you don't have what you, you want because you're doing all these bad things and you're not just taking it to the Lord. And then in verse 3, he says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because you, your motives are all wrong. You only want the things that give you pleasure. And, and John uh, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples, he says this in First John. He says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. Whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. The goal of prayer is not to get God to do what I want. The goal of prayer is, is, is so that I will start doing what God wants. And, and, and somebody will, you know, pull out, you know, this out of context scripture and they'll say, but doesn't the Bible say the Lord wants to give me the desires of my heart? It does say that. But what does it say before that? <laughs> right? Come on, there's nothing more dangerous than a person who knows a little bit of scripture but doesn't know the, the full fullness of the scriptures, right? Come on, that'll lead you to a place of bad theology, bad living, and, and, and disappointment all day, every day. Psalm 37, in its fullness, verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and, or then, He will give you your heart's desire. I'm sure you guys have experienced this, but, you know, maybe a, a, a new friendship is started, or a co-worker, or, or whatever the situation may be, and you begin to spend time with a person who has an interest that you have never had before. But before you know it, you have become interested in what that person is interested in. 
I used to never care anything about basketball. When you grow up in Mississippi and you're barely five foot seven, basketball really isn't on your radar. You know, <laughs> there were no NBA teams. There was no college teams of any, you know, of any great caliber to talk about. Uh, and I certainly wasn't getting out there and shooting hoops and dunking or getting layups. I can't even touch the net. Like if you lower the goal, even I struggle then. But, but when I was spend time with my friend Nick several years ago. Uh, in a year's time, I was following every game and, and really attempting to play, which if you've seen me, you know that that didn't go well. But, but I went from having zero interest in college or professional basketball to being very interested in it because I had a friendship with a person who was very interested in it. And that's, that's how we do there's things in your life that, that you take delight in, right? And if you begin to trace it back to the origin, you'll discover it's because somebody else that you loved and spent time with took delight in that thing, right? And so the psalmist says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. The reason why the Lord will give you your heart's desire is because his desire will start becoming your desire when you take delight in the Lord. And that's why John tells us you, when you pray and you ask for the things that God wants you to ask, he's going to give you what you want. Jesus said, pray for anything in my name. And we all think, oh, that just means I need to end my prayer in Jesus' name. I ask in your name, Lord. Like we use Jesus' name like it's like a code word, like it's hocus pocus, right? Come on. That's not what it means to pray in Jesus' name. What it means to pray in Jesus' name is I pray with the authority, the delegated authority that is given to me as one who follows Jesus. And listen, if you're living outside from under that authority and you're seeking your own way, your own will, your own pleasures, and your own purpose, you ain't praying in Jesus' name. You guys got time for a really quick story to illustrate that? <laughs> Pastor Andy, you got a little bit? Hey, yeah, you had nowhere to be today, right? <laughs> when I was a kid, I grew up in a, a very small town, and we had a co-op in our small town that sell gasoline, one of the two places to get gas in all of Sebastopol, Mississippi. But, and you know, I started driving, y'all won't believe this, but it's true, I started driving when I was 12, all around by myself, and I would cut yards and and lawnmower, I needed gas for my lawnmower, needed gas for my truck, and I would go to the co-op to get gas, but I never had any money because all my money went to my dad that I made because um, he paid for everything I had. But I would go and I would pump gas at the co-op and I would walk in and I would say, charge it to Wayne's account. And then as I got a little older, I would start driving it more and more and going to visit friends, and I would need gas more often, you know, back when it was really expensive at 92 cents a gallon. <laughs> and I would go into the co-op, and I would say, hey, charge that to Wayne's account, <clears throat> and at the end of the month, my dad would pay the bill. Every so often, though, him and I would get into a bit of a uh, disagreement, right? And I would fall out of favor with my father. And you know what one of the things that he would tell me? He would say, no gas for a month. And no gas was like, because I didn't live around anybody. <laughs> I grew up on a, on a farm, on a pasture land. So if I wanted to see anybody, I had to drive 20 miles to go see any friends, right? So that was his way of saying, you're stuck at home, buddy. So I could no longer go to the co-op and say, hey, charge it to my dad's account because I had started living in disobedience to his authority in my life. And a lot of us are praying prayers that God is saying, listen, I, I, I want to give you your heart's desires, but your heart's desires are so in conflict with my heart's desires. I love you, and, I, and, I, and, and, I, and I, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, but I cannot get behind the way you're living right now. Come on. Jesus even says as he gives his model to his disciples, pray like this. And then he goes on and he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say, pray that my will would be done, that Drew's will would be done, that Kristen's will, that Arlo's will would be done. 
No, he says, pray that your Father's will would be done. So, real quick, bringing this thing to a close. Keys to real, practical prayer. Because I want this to make a difference in your life tomorrow. I don't want you to just be inspired or encouraged to to have a better prayer life. I want to give you some tools to use. So number one, this is going to sound super elementary, but just hang out with me. Number one, pick a time. Pick a time. For me, it's first thing every morning before anybody else gets up. It's also when I first get to my office when I'm coming to the church. Pick a time. You might say, you might say, well, Pastor Drew, I pray while I'm driving. That's, that's my time. Can I, just, can I just lovingly tell you something? I, don't, I, I think that's fine. Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing, right? So we should always pray. But I think that, that at some point in our day, God would say, hey, can I not be a multitask item? Hey, can, can I just actually be the thing that you're consumed with for a little bit and not just one of the things you're doing? Yeah, I know you pray while you're driving. Yeah, I know you, you might be praying while you're showering or you might be praying while you're doing this other thing. But, but can I just be the priority every so often? So, so pick a time and be consistent. Put it on your calendar. Make an appointment. Like this is the time that I'm gonna spend with the Lord. Listen, we make appointments to spend time with all kinds of people that are far less important than him. Put it on your calendar. Make it something that you you do consistently every day. Pick a time. Number two, pick a place. I got a red chair in our living room. That's my place. Every morning I go sit in that chair or my office chair, depending on how or where I'm at. I got a time and I got a place. Number three, pick a model. This one might be a little new to some of you, but pick a model means that, that we use tools to help guide our prayers. And probably the most popular model there is is what we call the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it wasn't the Lord's Prayer. It was the disciples' prayer. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, pray then like this. And we know it, right? In this, he said, pray in this manner. Therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, many of you have been taught or at least been led to believe that this is just a prayer that we repeat. And that's fine. You can certainly do that. But if you will begin to study it, you realize that this is not just a prayer to repeat or a prayer to memorize, but this is a model to walk through. So you start with worship, and then you move to surrender. Then you ask God to provide for your needs, right? Give us today our daily bread. Then you move to repentance. Lord, Search my heart. See if there is any anxious way in me. See if there's any wickedness in here that offends you. Lead me on the path of everlasting life. Worship, surrender, provision, repentance, protection. It's a model to walk through. It's been the one I've used for many years now. And there's another model that I've actually just picked up recently. Uh, and these, you can just Google prayer models and you'll find all kinds of things. I even have an app on my phone called Pray First that's full of different ways and guides to lead us through prayer. You might think, oh, you know, is this, that's silly, Pastor Drew. You know, I'm just going to go pray. Well, I have, I have noticed that a lot of times early in the mornings when my mind is struggling to wake up, that if I just try to just pray, that what winds up happening is before I know it, I'm just scrolling social media on my phone or I'm falling back asleep. But the ACTS model uh, stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, another word for, for worship, right? Confession, where we ask the Lord to forgive us. Thanksgiving, where we offer him praise for all he's done in supplication because we have needs that we want to bring to the Lord. Sometimes needs for ourselves, sometimes needs for others. And understand this, that it's always okay to ask God to meet your needs and to even fulfill your desires. 
And there's plenty of other models. So pick a time, pick a place, pick a model. And then lastly, just pray. The only way to get better at prayer is to pray. The only way to begin to enjoy prayer is to pray even when it's not enjoyable. The only way to grow in your prayer life is to start where you are so God can take you where he wants you to be. Just pray. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be long. It just needs to happen because consistency always trumps intensity. Just do it every day. Even if it's just five minutes. Listen, five minutes is better than nothing, right? And if you miss one day, don't miss two, right? Don't allow the enemy to talk you in to that guilt and condemnation of, oh, it's been however long since you prayed. God's mad at you. God doesn't want to hear from you. That is not the God that we serve. That is not the God that we call Father. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'm here today to tell you, friend, he just wants to hear from you. He just wants to talk with you. So start today. Start now. If it's been a long time, if it's been, if, if it's been a hot minute, right? He's not mad. He just misses you. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, today, very simply, if it's your desire, say, Pastor Drew, I am, I want a real prayer life, and it has been a struggle. It has not been easy. I have not been consistent. But I want to grow in this area. I just want to know who you are so I can pray for you now and so I can pray for you as the week goes on. If that's you, would you lift your hand just right where you are? Nobody looking around. Man, I see a lot of you. Thank you, Father. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You see every hand. You know every heart. You see every person right where they are. Father, that you would give us a passion and a burden to seek your face, to pursue your presence not just at a Sunday morning service, but God, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday evening. And God, that you would remind us that if it's been a while, if it's been inconsistent, Lord, that you don't hold a grudge. We're not gonna begin praying and and you have some smart aleck remark about how, wow, didn't even know you were still there. That's not who you are. That's not how you operate. You are a good father. You are a patient father. You are caring, kind, and compassionate. And so today, God, we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Just for a few moments, I'm going to ask Don to just lead us just right where you are. Nobody telling you what to say. Nobody coaching you, but just as you continue in this posture of prayer, posture of worship, I want you to allow one thing to happen and I want you to do another. First of all, I want you to allow the goodness of the Lord to just make its home in your heart, for you to be reminded by His Spirit of how good, kind, and caring He is. And secondly, I want you to make up your mind that prayer will not be a priority, a option, or an option, but it will be the priority. That it will not be a last resort, but it will be first response. Let's do that for just a few moments. Go ahead, Don.